Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through um, 13, and then we'll turn to the uh, New Testament and to the book of James for our text, uh, James chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. So uh, please stand and we will um, read this portion of the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and a darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb, yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Now let's turn to the New Testament, to uh, the book of James. Chapter 1. Please, and we will read verses 18 through 31. <clears throat> of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Here ends the reading of this portion of the word of God. You may be seated, but uh, please keep God's word open as we look at this passage of scripture because I like to always remind congregations it's not what I or any preacher in this pulpit says that's, that's infallible, inerrant. We must go back to the word of God and examine what is said. 
from this pulpit by me by the inerrant, infallible word of God. So give attention to God's word uh, as he speaks to us this morning through his word. Speaking about the word, I just want to ask you a question this morning. How do you show the power of the words you speak? Just think back this week and how have you shown the power of the spoken word in your life? Maybe you became angry with your children or, or, or children at your parents or husband's wife or we could, we could uh, go into the ripple effect. Maybe it was at work or a neighbor or maybe at a family get-together we had this week and we became angry. At least we had the temptation and maybe we even practiced or did the very thing that it's so common to do, and that is to raise our voice. Now, why do we raise our voice when we get angry? Well, one reason is that we want to show the power that we have over that other person. My, my argument is right. My point is right because my voice is more powerful than the voice you came at me with. Whenever someone does that to me, what's going to be my temptation to respond? To raise my voice even higher because my point is right. The thing that I'm upset about with you, my position is right. And I'll prove it through the power of the decibels of my voice. Young people, you know that you are really in trouble with your parents, don't you? When you hear your full name called out. Young people, has that ever happened to you? You've had your full name called out by mom or dad and said, come here this very second. That'll get you to your parents quicker than about anything, won't it? When that happens, because you know the power of that full name when it generally comes forth from your parents. Or we can soften our voice. The softness of our voice has power too. God's word tells us that. We read in Proverbs 15, verse 1, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So if we want to stop an argument, there's power. Now, I'm not saying this. God says this. There's power in the softness of our voice because it's hard. It's hard to respond several decibel la uh, layers higher than a soft answer. That brings the tone down quickly. Well, we want to turn to God's word this morning and see the power 
That's in his voice, in his word, because you see, we are reflecting in a positive or negative way. However, we use our voice, we're reflecting in angry moments and in other times in, in life that we are made in the image of God. As we show that forth with the power of your voice and my voice. James speaks in verse 18 of the power of the word of God. Now let me just sit for a minute, a sentence or two, of the context of this verse. Uh, we broke into the context of the uh, uh, verse here. We go back up to verse 13, and in verse 13 of James 1, James writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The readers and us today can never blame God for any sin that you and I commit. And that's what James wants to uh, get across here that God is not the one that brings forth sin in lives. No, that's our own problem. That's, that's our response to the situations around us that we do not have to make. James goes on to say in verse 18, God doesn't bring forth sin what God brings forth is salvation of his own will, he says. James says, God begot us. God begot you. God begot me with the word of truth. Oh, the power of God's word is, is what I want us to see in the first point of our message today because I think we can take God's word too much, too much for granted. I know I can. And we, were struck, we can be struck with this. We should be struck with this as we open the Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is more than just an account of creation. It's an account of the power of the word of God. Did you notice just in the first 13 verses how many times I read the word and God said? And God said. It's in verse 3. It's in verse 6. It's in verse 9. It's in verse 14. It's in verse 20. It's in verse 24. And it's in verse 26. God reiterates, he underlines the importance of his word and the power of that word as the word brought forth creation from nothing. And the world and all creation came into existence at the power of the very word of God. What an introduction in the word of God to the word of God and its power when in Genesis chapter 1 we read boom, 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 boom. 
God said, and this happened. God said, and that happened. In creation, the power of God's word is seen. Satan recognizes that. And so we turn to Genesis chapter 3. And readily, what does Satan do? Satan tempts Eve with these words, Hath God said? He tempts Eve to deny the word of God because he knows something of the power of the word of God and he wants to turn Eve away from it. He wants to get that word doubted. And then if we, if we were expounding on Genesis chapter 3, we could go on a few verses and see that he wants to even deny the word of God, not only doubt God's word, but have Eve to deny the word of God when, I believe it's in verse 5, that, God, that uh, Satan says, you will not surely die on the day that you eat of this fruit. Satan hates the word of God. And any time you're tempted to deny the word of God, brothers and sisters, you better back up and return to God's word and remember the power of God's word and see, thus says the Lord in the word of God and make sure that before you deny God's word, you're not denying what God has actually said in his word. It's God's word that's powerful. Powerful, not only to create, but to recreate, to save sinners. That's what James is focused on here. He begat us. He brought us forth with the word of truth. No matter how we were saved, in covenant homes, no matter whether you remember the time of your salvation, I do not remember the time of my salvation. You may or may not. The important thing is to know that you've been saved. You've repented of your sins. You've trusted in Christ. And you've been saved by the grace of God. The important thing is to know that God has saved us and God's word pointed us to Christ Jesus. We're saved by God's mercy. It's one reason he gave us his word. He was merciful enough to give us this word that we can so easily take for granted by not reading it, not studying it, not knowing how to apply it in the culture in which we live. We were saved by the mercy of God. We have a God that delights in us. David maybe was thinking about this in a, in a lesser way when God delivered him from Saul's hand and David praises God in, in Psalm 18, verse 19 by saying, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Christian brothers and sisters, that's the reason you're saved. God delighted in you. 
not because of anything in you, but just because he did. Doesn't that humble you? Isn't that a great reason for Thanksgiving? Not right here, not only right here at Thanksgiving, but that should make every day, every moment of our day, a day of Thanksgiving because we have a God that delights in us sinners who don't deserve his delight. He delights in us. He loves us. God sets his love upon his elect that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses uh, 7 and 8, as God spoke of bringing forth the Israelites. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you. So Israel came into a nation simply out of God's love. Not everyone in that nation came to follow him. They became a stubborn, many of them, a stubborn and stiff-necked people and revolted against him. But Paul, speaking about salvation, said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. So God delights in us. He set his love upon us from before the foundation of the world. And he rejoices in us. We could, we could turn to Zechariah, that great verse in Zechariah 3, verse 17, where we read that God rejoices over his people with joy. When we get down this week, down in the dumps, turn your eyes to God, the God who saved you, the God who rejoices over you. Christian brother and sister, people may not rejoice over you, people may disappoint you, but God rejoices over you because we are saved and he gave us his word. And as we hear hear his word, he brings us forth as his spirit works in our life into newness of life. In God's word, we see, we see that we are sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot hold ourselves up above anyone else as being better and so and so. And we face death because of we're separated. We're born separated from God. That's what death is, separation. And we're born separated from God. At death, we, our body is separated from our souls. And if we die without repentance, without turning from our sins and, and trusting in Christ alone for our salvation, we will be eternally separated from God. And we cannot be saved by our works. 
Young people, adults, our culture screams at us and cries at us to look within yourselves to save yourself. Look at this, look at that, look at things, look at success, look at security, look at a good job to save yourself. Look at a moral life. You and I cannot save ourselves in any of these things. Again, God's word, we go back to God's word, and what does God's word say? It says that by the words of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Because as we turn to God's word, Paul goes on to write in Romans 3, verse 20, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's one reason people do not want to read the word of God because it reminds us of the lordship of Christ. It reminds us of our own sin that mankind does not want to turn away from. So mankind leaves the word of God closed all too often. We cannot be saved by our words if we could. Christ would never have come to die on the cross for our sins. We want proof that we cannot be saved by our words. Look to Christ. Look to our Savior. Christ paid for the sins of all who had put their trust in him. And so that God makes the promise that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God begot us with the word of truth. I've tried to present that this morning in, in this message to, that we might see what we're confronted with in the word of God so that we don't assume that our children are automatically saved because they're in our family. So that we don't assume those around us that need God's word Although we may think they're saved. I want us to see the power that's in God's word. And that that's what brought us forth. That's what raised us from the dead of spiritual death into new life in Christ. Not Christ not only delighted in us, he not only loved us before the foundation of the world, but he gave us his word that would point us to Christ. So that Paul would write, as we, I want to apply this now, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. We love God's word, but are we ashamed of it when we go out in public? Are you afraid to talk about it? Are you afraid to bring it up in conversation because of what someone might say? Big temptation. I've been there. I've done it many times. Is to say, well, a better time will come along later. Now just wasn't the right time. I bet I'll get a better time later. And it passes us by. That time passes us by. How do we know we'll even see that person again? 
do we know? Oh, Paul says here, the word of God is the power of God. That word power means dynamite. The Greek comes from the Greek word dunamis. It means dynamite. It blows people's lives apart and then puts that life back together again on the foundation of Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. Do you want to see other lives blown apart? Take God's word forth. That same word that begot you unto salvation is the word that God can use to save others. Now, God doesn't need you to save anyone. He doesn't need me. But we're talking about the instrumentality that God uses in his own predestination, in his own plan to save others. We must talk to others about the word of God. Our culture knows increasingly little about the Bible or the biblical teaching on salvation. And we can never assume that so-and-so knows this about God's word or that about God's word. That's why we need to bring it up prayerfully, lovingly, humbly. All these terms are important, but we need to bring it up and set forth the word of God in a culture that does not want to hear it. Secondly, do you come to the house of worship each Lord's Day with an expectancy to see souls saved that God may have there? See the unsaved come to faith in Christ because they are under the word of God that is powerful unto salvation to Jew and Gentile. Did you come in here this morning expecting God to save sinners that God had drawn in here that you might have invited to come. Did you come? Whether you invited someone to come or not, do you come to the expectation that covenant children that are yet blind to the ways of God, to the truth of God, that they might be saved this morning? Not that they can't be saved Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. No. But this is the day we're gathering to worship. God can save sinners wherever, however. And we need to expect, as God's word goes forth from this pulpit or from family devotions or wherever, that God's going to use it to blow apart people's lives whether it be to bring them out of the deadness of Ephesians 2.1 into newness of life by his grace and mercy, or to build up Christians, to build you up, do we come expecting God's word to work 
to show forth its power in our lives as we come in contact with it day by day, week by week. We have to realize that wherever God's word goes forth, it will always, always accomplish its purposes. We should set forth God's word in the way in which I said that it should be set forth, lovingly, etc., prayerfully, with the expectation that God is going to bring forth fruit from that word, fruit that we may never see. Because we don't know what God is doing inside other people's lives. Some plant, some water, some are there when the fruit is brought forth. Our desire is to exalt God and set forth his word. But God gives us the promise in Isaiah 55, 11, that his word which goes, goes forth from his mouth shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, what God desires. And without succeeding, for which I send it. And it's something that every time God's word goes forth, God has a purpose for that word going forth. It may increase somebody's judgment. It may bring somebody, God may use it to save someone. God may use it for encouragement, for the building up, for correction, for any number of different ways. But we have that promise. And that's another reason we should be expectant for God's word to blow apart lives and reconstruct them whenever God's word goes out. God's unfailing in his promises. And that's true for this one. And then fourthly, one other application I want to make here is don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged if when you talk about God's word to others, people do not change. Remember, we don't depend on ourselves. Salvation in a person's life, growth in a salvation in somebody's life, growth in sanctification, does not depend on us. We're mainly instruments. God has to bring about the change. We're only instruments in God's hands. We're not the be-all and we're not the be-all and the do-all. No, it's God that begot us. James right here, writes here in verse 18. God begot us. God saved us with the word of truth. How great it is to hold God's word in our hand. This book that's really dynamite to us. That searches us out, points out our sins, and points us to the Savior of sinners, the one that, to whom we will confess our sins, he will forgive us. Even as Christians, he forgives us. 
This book tells us that God's a God of second chances. We sin. It's not a reason, I don't say, we go out here and are presumptuous in our sins. It's sin in of itself. Just presuming that God will forgive us. No, we sin, then we flee to God in true sorrow, in true repentance, and he'll take us back. That's the God we have, and that's the God that we're appointed to in his word. Well, how are we to approach God's word? James uh, deals with that here, and I want to just touch on that very, very briefly in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. How do we approach the word of God? The one thing we need to do, we need to take it seriously. I've tried to set that forth Already, need to take God's word seriously, open it, prayerfully study it day by day as individuals, as families, that we might be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us at work, on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever we can for the glory of God. We hunger for. This is the way we're sanctified. This is the way we grow in Christ. That's the very thing Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus prayed to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You want to grow in Christ? Stay in the word. Be in the word. Study the word. How does it apply to my life? How does it apply? What does it teach me about God? These are questions we need to ask. Secondly, approach it humbly. Notice what James says in in verse 21 of our text. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. I love how Rush Denny defined meekness. I remember him defining meekness as one tamed by God. That's what meekness means. It doesn't mean weakness or wimpiness or anything like that. It means that In biblical terms, we've been tamed by God. We've been tamed by God. We're we're going to want to sit under the word of God. We're going to want to read the word of God. Oh, we don't want to read it like we should want to read it, but deep down within our heart, that's what we want. We all have to deal with hardness of heart and, and... a lack of hunger. 
from the word of God. That's one thing I'm trying to do this morning is encourage you to hunger for the word and the busy world in which we live in. Receive it with meekness. Have you been tamed by the word of God? Are you seeking to grow in the word of God? Are you glad you had a savior that prayed you to be sanctified in the word of God? What a great prayer. Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray for your husband? Do you pray for your believing children and others that they would be sanctified in God's word? When was the last time you prayed for your spouse? to be built up in Scripture. Jesus prayed that for us, you see. Jesus prayed that for his people there in the Garden of Eden, for his disciples, and not only for his disciples, but we make application for us today. Do we pray that for fellow church members, for one another, for those that are going through struggles with particular sins. Are we pleading for God to sanctify us and sanctify them by his word? James goes on to say here that we don't receive the word with wrath. Notice verse 19, evidently there were people there in that congregation that were more apt to criticize the word and to get angry at what was being preached than to examine scripture with scripture. So James says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's word's great. That's the way we were brought into the kingdom. That's the way we are saved. That's the way we grow by God's grace in the word. Are you treasuring God's word? If you're hard toward it, are you praying for God to soften your heart? You feel like you've had enough maybe of God's word? You already know it. Pray for humility. Pray that God will give you a hunger for his word. And if you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, pray that God would use his word to open your eyes to your need of Christ that is spoken about throughout Scripture and is pointed to throughout scripture. Pray that God's word would blow your life apart and give you faith and repentance. Bring you to himself that you might begin to grow in the Lord in terms of God's word. May God use his word in your life for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We thank you for your matchless word. 
Lord, I know I'm one that doesn't treasure it enough. And I don't expect enough from your word, Lord, what you say in your word that you'll do. Lord, I'm probably just like my brothers and sisters here in that regard. But, Lord, this week I pray that you'd use your word as dynamite in our lives. Wherever our lives need to be blown apart, you would do that and put it back together again in terms of your word, Lord. That we might be faithful servants of yours for the first time or that we might be better servants of yours all by your grace. Oh, God, do your work in our lives by your spirit as you apply that powerful word to our lives as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.